Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Everything Cooperative. This beautiful, beautiful Thursday morning in the great month of July, we have on the program with us this day, Mr. Cornelius Blanding, the new executive director of the Federation of Southern Co-ops. He's been on the show before, and he's had a promotion since then. Good morning, Cornelius. Good morning, Vernon. How are you, sir? I'm great. How are you doing today? I'm just into the curveball. <laughs> just into the Okay. Well, I hope you hit it out, out, out of the park, man. Once I get adjusted, you can believe it. <laughs> well, how has the transition been? Uh, it, 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 it's been a transition for sure. Uh, you know, they say you, never, you don't know what you know until you don't know what you know. Uh, it, 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 it's, been, it's been a ride, but I, one, I wouldn't trade in for anything, I tell you. I've been with the Federation for 17, over 17 years now and thought I knew the organization. <laughs> uh, but I tell you, until you get in this seat, you don't know it. Yes. So yeah. I have a whole lot of my predecessor, uh, Mr. Ralph Page. I, I've always admired and had a great deal of respect for him, and I think I have even, I've learned to have even more just trying to see that. Trying to fill his shoes, huh? Yeah. And the, and the, well, I've, I've given up on trying to do that. I, I realize those are large <laughs> set of shoes, and I said, well, I'm going to walk my own path. Okay. Put his shoes to the side to be reminded of the, of the, of the walk and the, and the giants before me, and blaze my own trail and based on the mission of this organization. But uh, it's, it's been a, it's been a it's been a ride, and when I went trade in, because again I learned a whole lot in the few months. It's only been about four months now since March. Four so months. Yeah, four almost five months now. Yes, sir. Not not long at all, but it seems like a lifetime now. I tell you. Well, well, the federation got started in the sixties. Nineteen sixty-seven. Yes. Okay, and has Ralph been the uh, executive director ever since then? He hasn't. I'm the th- I'm actually the third uh, full executive director. Ra- Ralph is Ralph is the second executive director. Uh, Ralph has been with that organization for about 45 years, 45, 46 years. The executive director for 30. Okay. Um, yeah. Now uh, Charles Prejean was actually the first executive director of the federation. So, can you tell the audience what the federation does? Federation of Southern Cooperatives. I would be glad to. Um, the, the, and, and the Federation is, is, is like, you know, and I, and I say that, and humbly, I humbly say this, but it, it's like no other organization in this sense. Uh, first of all, just by our charter, the Federation is a is chartered in, in D.C. is under the Cooperative Development Act of D.C. And we were chartered that way because there was no such charter. There, there was and is no such charter in the South, like that and probably nowhere else. But we were chartered in 1967 by 22 co-ops that came together to create what they called the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. So in essence, we're cooperative and cooperative. Mm-hmm. We're structured. Uh, we're basically a secondary and tertiary cooperative. We have these primary cooperatives on the ground, these very, um, very community-based cooperatives that are in all the states throughout the South. And again, 22 of them came together to create the Federation. And those 22 were created out of the Civil Rights Movement, well, many of them. Some of them before, um, but they came together because of a need, uh, which what co-ops are set up to address. A need that was common among all of them, individual members and the cooperative members, and created this federation of Southern cooperatives. And the federation was set up to basically address their needs as cooperatives and those and the members of those cooperatives. Um, so uh, I like to look at it in terms of three areas, three primary areas in terms of what the, co- the federation works in, and that's cooperative economic development land retention, and advocacy. And so in the co-op development piece of it, which was important, is that um, it was about promoting, protecting, and defending the cooperative movement in the South among these community-based cooperatives and providing all the services and technical assistance they needed to survive as cooperatives and thrive and continue to grow and expand the cooperative movement. Uh, and there were a lot of people that were at the table. I mentioned the Federation was chartered in 1967, but it was it was before 
1967, before it was actually started in terms of the conversation, um, there were many people at the table. One of them, uh, UNDC there, was CLUSA, the Credit Union Leader of the United States of America, which is now NCDA CLUSA. Uh, there were people from CLUSA at the table. Uh, in 66, when these conversations were going on, mm-hmm. the first piece of money came from OEO, there, the office in, in, uh, from the government, to help establish the federation. That, that, that first meeting happened in Mississippi. Um, but it took a year later and some fund and funding from various people and support from all different organizations and communities um, that culminated into the founding of the organization in 67. Uh, but again, around cooperative economic development, land retention, and advocacy. And the land retention piece is very important because at the end of the day, what I always heard that in order to have a successful business, you have to have land management and capital. Go. And and so um, land is a very important part of what we do as a federation. It's a part of many of the cooperatives because we're here in the South and the land base is the biggest asset that black families, black farmers, black landowners have here in the South. And protecting that asset, that land base, has been critical for our movement, for the cooperative movement here in the South, for the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. And so we spend a lot of time around land, land retention, helping to save land here in the South because Black families, black farmers, black landowners have been losing land at such an alarming rate that there was a commission created, and they thought by the year 2000 there would be no black black owned land if they kept going at the rate it was. So one of our primary purposes was to help stem their tide of land loss, and that's critical for us to meet in terms of the cooperatives again, because many of our cooperatives are agriculture based, meaning they're land based, and so making sure that that land is protected and making sure they're able to utilize that land. And the number one vehicle that we use for that is cooperative, organizing cooperative. Um, And then you have advocacy in terms of always advocating for the right kind of programs and policies that will help, that will benefit small farmers, landowners, uh, and these cooperatives in the South. Economic development, money, land retention, money, advocacy. advocacy programs and policies to help create money and get land. In order to have a successful business, you said land management and capital. That's the land, knowledge of how to run a business, and then the money to run the business. Yeah. All right. Well, you got to how – many, how many – there were 22 to start. How many, how many co-ops do you have now, or how many people are in, involved in your federation? Yeah, well, there were 22 cooperatives then. There's about 75 now, cooperatives and credit unions and community development groups. Um, and it involves roughly around 20,000 individuals all around the South. And when you say all around the South, what states are you talking about? So so we're, we're actually chartered uh, in D.C., but we're chartered to work in, I think, 13 states, uh, which go from Texas all the way up to Virginia. However, we're, we're a very limited resource organization, so we know we can't cover that amount of territory. So we, we we have board representation from nine southern states, but we actually focus on six. And those six that we focus are Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Louisiana, Florida. And when I say focus, that's where we have physical staff and office. Uh, but again, other states like Texas, Arkansas, uh, those states are important to us too because then we have we have membership there and we have cooperatives there who provide services there. Again, no physical office, no staff, but all but but we're working to grow every day. Alabama, Georgia, Mississippi, South Carolina, Louisiana, and Florida. Florida. You've got physical offices in those locations. Staff. Yes, sir. Seventy five credit unions, I mean, cooperatives and or credit unions with about 20,000 people. And and when you say limited resources, you're talking about you don't have a whole lot of money to do this, all this programming and advocacy and economic development and land t- retention. Exactly. Uh, here's the uh, – so what, what I consider one of our, our major problems is this, and, and I say problem for lack of a better word. We're, again, a cooperative economic development organization, cooperative land retention and advocacy. One of our biggest supporters is actually, the, well, we have many supporters, so I don't want to leave anybody out. But the large, the lion's share of our resources come from government programs. And majority, and, and most of the government programs don't work in those areas that I mentioned. 
some economic development land retention advocacy. However, there are some. Uh, rural development, as an example, is probably one of the biggest funders around cooperative work. Uh, this management agency is one we've been able to do with some work around land retention. But for the most part, the lion's share of our resources come from agencies that focus on various types of programs, and those programs many times are geared towards individual farmers and landowners. Uh, but the nature of this organization is about the collective. And so trying to figure out, trying to be creative, trying to figure out how do we deal with that piece, the mission of the organization, the core of the organization, what it was founded on, where the majority of our resources are coming from public sources and deal on individual level. Uh, so many of our, that's the reason why many of our partners, all of our partners who give in what we call the unrestricted category are so valuable to us. Um, no matter how small the donations, the contributions are, they go toward that piece that we call unrestricted that allows us to carry out the mission of the organization without those restrictions. Uh, of the 20,000 people, uh, how many are African-American, would you suggest? The, the, the majority. The organization was founded by 22 African-American cooperatives. Uh, however, we don't discriminate. We uh, we know that in our communities, all help, any help, all help is good help. And, so there are some cooperatives that have some white, some are Hispanic uh, membership. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we've we've had cooperatives that have been primarily Hispanic cooperatives uh, back in the late 60s, early 70s, down in areas like Texas. Uh, but the majority, primarily we work with African-American farmers and landowners. But, again, there are some some other uh, landowners and farmers who are part of the co-ops, and we welcome all, all support. We're about cooperatives. So if somebody out there in the audience today... Uh, wanted to give some money to the federation. How would they do that? Uh, uh, various ways. So one is directly through the website. Our website is www.federation.coop. C O O P. You can go on the website. And there's an area where you can contribute to the organization through a link there. Specify how you want that to be given. You can call directly into the office, um, and somebody, one of the ladies here, one somebody to talk to you and get you send a form and give you ways to mail resources in. Uh, and you can always ask for the account and go directly into the account. But uh, whatever the easiest for folks, so we, 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 we try to pride ourselves on making it as easy as possible to contribute <laughs> to our cause. And, and so majority of the 20,000 people that you work with are African-American. Uh, you're working in, in the South. And I had Doug O'Brien on the radio show last week uh, from, from the White House. Uh, the rural what? The White House Rural Policy Council. Yes. And he was telling me that um, of, of the areas that they're, they're looking for helping children, and they have a ladder program, the White House does, to try to help people up. And he said that the, the places that have the most poverty, uh, there 80% of them are in the rural areas, and most of them are people of color. Um, and he mentioned the Delta and Appalachia are two of those areas, and Appal- uh, the Delta being the area that you're working in. How, how do you help people get out of – does this program, program that you all do help people get out of poverty? So let me, so let me say this, uh, first and foremost, which is very important. One, uh, yes, I'm very familiar with Doug. Doug O'Brien has been a great friend of the Federation uh, prior to becoming to the Rural White House Policy Council for Rural Development. Uh, so, again, one of the agencies that we work very closely with because of the nature. Okay, uh, now listen, we, we have to take a break. I'm sorry to cut you off, but we're going to come back and find out how, what you're doing to help folks get out of poverty in, in the Delta in the area that you're talking about working through co-ops. If anybody out there would like to have a question for Cornelius or myself, you can call in at 1-800-450-7876. Please don't touch the dial. We'll be right back. News updates on the web at woldcnews.com. You know, this is what makes um, WOL a great partner for this show because their motto is information is power. And the National Cooperative Bank is sponsoring this program to give you the information so that if you put that information to use, you can get power. The NCB's mission is to help cooperatives grow by supporting and being an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, placing special emphasis on serving the needs of communities that are economically challenged. And what we're talking to Cornelius Blanding about when we took the break was 
the economically challenged communities in the South and how cooperatives and the Federation of Southern Cooperatives are helping people come out of poverty. Welcome back, Cornelius, and could you continue with that conversation? Yeah, for sure, and thanks. Uh, so, so Vernon, one of the things that I was, I was going to say before I answered that question, which is important, uh, and it goes back to the – I mentioned the partners. I mentioned Doug O'Brien in terms of being a friend of the Federation and, that position, and the positions that he's been in and rural development in general. But, you know, you have the new undersecretary, that Lisa Mensa, and those folks have been very, very valuable partners uh, in those, with the agencies that they work in. But here's the most here's the important part. Uh, I mentioned those 22 co-ops came together to form the Federation. Mm-hmm. The Federation is it's a cooperative. It's a cooperative of cooperatives. But more importantly, it was the people who came together to help themselves. And so our efforts are not about helping anybody. It's about people helping themselves. Those structures, those infrastructures that were created, ours in particular, in 1967, right after the during the Civil Rights Movement, structures that were created for people to help themselves. And so I, I, I mention that because I, I think that's the most important part of this organization. That's the core. That's the crux of this organization, of the Federation. That it's, a, it's an organization that's owned by the people themselves. It's a cooperative that's owned by the folks who it benefits. And so I work in the Delta. The Mississippi is, again, I mentioned in 1966, the conversations happened in Mississippi. Some of those co-ops that created the Federation came out of Mississippi, Alabama, Georgia, South Carolina, Texas, uh, so on and so on. Louisiana, uh, but it's about people coming together to address their own problems and find solutions and partner with other folks, and especially the government, to help solve their own problems, to play roles and partner together. And in Mississippi, you, you mentioned Mississippi, and mm-hmm. coincidentally, to have that high rate of poverty and have some of the richest agricultural land in the world <laughs> is, a, <laughs> is an oxymoron. And so... How do, how, do, how do we make sure people understand the power, the importance of agriculture, the power and importance of land? There shouldn't be anybody who owns land who should be in poverty. And so I, what the Federation is about, the land retention part is about, one, retaining that land base, two, utilizing it, and three, organizing the cooperatives to get the full benefit of it, those economies of scale that's needed. So how do you look at community development at a full scale? look at all the pieces, and pull all those different partners who may be working on one separate piece, put them together, but put them together for the sake of doing real community-based development work, cooperative economic development work, work in which the folks can find their own solutions, partner with communities, partner with groups and foundations and organizations that are based in those communities, that are owned by those communities. Uh, the Federation was created in 67. They created the structure. The structure was put together, and it acquired a lot of infrastructure, including land that's owned by those communities, those people, those cooperatives. And just having those creative partnerships are ways to work through that where people can address their own issues in poverty. But it's centered around how do you build, how do you recognize land as a, as a value? How do you secure it? How do you get the secure land tenure? That's an important topic, so it can be passed on, so it can stay in agriculture, and so you can realize the value of agriculture and agricultural businesses and cooperatives as a solution to help alleviate poverty. But people can do it themselves if they have the right structures in place and the support and the partnerships. So so you make a, a really interesting point here, which you got my total attention, uh, because my question was how do you help people come out of the poverty, and you turn around and said that people can help themselves come out of the poverty you just created a structure. So how how do you get people, <clears throat> how do you promote the Federation so that more and more people will know about it? You've gone from 22 to 75 co-ops to either help people create a co-op or help people to join the co-op so that you have people. Here's where I'm coming from. I had a, a gentleman on, um, Papa Sin from Senegal, and he said similar to what you said is that that co-ops are formed to solve community problems. If you don't have a community problem, you, there's no need for a co-op. And he talked about how farmers, the, the, the key to it was that when they joined a co-op, uh, one guy said he could not even provide for his family for the whole year. The, the, the benefit of being in a co-op was he could feed his family for the year and he had some, some monies left over at the end of the year. He had some savings. And that was by joining the co-op and learning how to um, – Get good seed and 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 learning better how to how to 
grow, you know, use the land and then having markets where they could sell it, a, a marketing co-op so they could sell the product and get a better price for it. So there was a lot going on in that co-op to help this farmer. And so it's the same thing I'm trying to think of. How do you do that in your in your organization? Uh, well, Vernon, as you know, there's seven principles, cooperative principles. And I think it's the fifth one. That's constant education. Education, education, education. Education is key. Education, you know, getting the word out there so people understand cooperative as an option, as a viable tool to help solve their own problems is one thing. Once you get people, once people start organizing the co-ops, continue to provide that education so they understand how to actually manage and benefit from their co-op. Because, you know, you, when you start talking about low-resource communities, you start talking about people who don't have the very thing that you're asking about, education about these things, education about managing a business. And so you have, there's a lot of factors that go into it, but it's all around education, 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 and education at the right time and about the right thing. So one, education about cooperatives so that they start understanding that it's a viable tool. And once they get in it, constant education, constant education, understanding that co-op, understanding how to, how to operate and manage that co-op as a business, and then how to expand that business, how to understand the co-op community, who else is out there, how do we partner together, uh, which is, again, another cooperative principle. So I think the pieces are there if we follow them, if we follow them. And it's about, but it's about the educational component and having the resources to do the education. All of it goes back to that piece that you so eloquently mentioned, money, 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 money. How do you get the resources to do this work? It's how um, we have to partner together. The co-op community is so important. Uh, you mentioned NCBS as sponsor here, and, and, and which is very important. The NCBA was, that was created out of a charter by the government, recognizing the need in these rural communities and around the world. And so NCB is a valuable partner. Uh, because it is a resource too for folks. But how do we pull all those resources together and utilize them, understand that we're all important, that we're all integral to the whole and work together on things? And that's, that's a challenge, though. But, again, it's a challenge that uh, and a struggle that I enjoy being in, and I know uh, others do too. And how do we struggle together and, create, and get to where we're trying to get to, where we're making sure that this, that this vehicle is available to all to help themselves. Well, I like to help themselves, and I love the education part. That's where I started loving um, this this thing called a co-op. And so it's a great time to talk about what is a co-op. A co-op is any business you can think of. It can be a co-op. Any business whatsoever, co-op could, if it's uh, owned by the employees, it's called a worker co-op. If it's owned by the people that use the products and services, it's called a consumer co-op. Examples of consumer co-op is credit unions, which has already been mentioned, or housing co-ops. Uh, but any kind of business, daycare could be a worker co-op. Um, I've seen uh, consulting firms, architectural firms, uh, uh, people in the healthcare industry could be, have a worker so worker cooperative. So it could be any kind. But a lot of times in farmers, they come together to form purchasing co-ops where they buy gas. Uh, when Canegas was on before, he said that they form a worker co-op in, I think, the 50s when, when people um, – when people went out to vote to get the right to vote, then the whites would not sell them gasoline or sell them other things. So they had to form their own co-op and get a truck and, and go across the borders and buy their gas. So you, you get co-op purchasing co-ops and then also uh, you get marketing co-ops when people come together to sell their products. And I hear mainly farmers and artists are doing this now. So you, there, there's all kinds, uh, all kinds the different co-ops. And we're going to come back to the principles. You mentioned the fifth principle and the sixth principle is cooperation among co-ops, so that networking and working together. And we have Gwen on the line. Gwen, do you have a question or comment? Yes, I do. I, I understand the concept of the co-op, and it sounds terrific. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Pardon me. But how does one get involved? You go to your credit union and say, I want to join a co-op. I want to live in a community where the uh, – Dwellings are a part of a co-op. Um, I, I haven't gotten yet what one must do to get involved with the co-op situation. Well, National Cooperative Business Association uh, try to put together try to put together a a um, computer program where you could go and look. If you come into a community, you can say what uh, housing co-ops are out there and have house housing have um, some available. 
but you could go to your credit union and I'll look up. There's something you can go online. I think it's called a smarter choice.coop. Mm-hmm. And you could go to that and look and see a credit union that you could join. Um, the also okay. ncba.coop is another place you could go look on their webpage and, and see what what they're having. You could look under co-op in DC. There's something called coopdc.org mm-hmm. where people will go on and log on. And there's a Silver Spring uh, food mm-hmm. co-op. There's a Greenbelt food co-op. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different co-ops around if you want to if you want to join one. Okay. Now I, I'm actually calling because my grandson, who's 30 years old, is uh, single and he does have um, a little lump sum of money from um, a terrible accident he was mm. in, and I was just thinking uh, to help him mature some to get mm-hmm. involved with something like a co-op where living seems to be um, ideal because everybody's on the same page in terms of interest in, in the place where they live. That's a great – listen, we've got to take a break. Gwen, please hang on. We'll be right back to talk about you and your grandson. W-O-L. Welcome back, everybody, this Thursday. Gwen is talking about her grandson. She wants to see if she can help him. Uh, Gwen, I was hoping you weren't asking me to help him figure out a wife or something over here. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. Actually, actually, he is single. Okay. <clears throat> and but, he works all the time. So he needs more of an interest in life than to just go back and forth to work. That's one of the benefits of co-ops. Cornelius, yeah. do you have any uh, ideas or suggestions for this lady? Well, well, I want to. I want to. Well, good morning, Gwen. And, morning. And thanks for your your, your question is a million, is a million dollar question. How does one get involved? That's the crux of the issue, and that's the challenge that's always posed. And trying to figure out how to make sure. Going back to that question, Vernon asked, how do you make sure the education is out there, the information is out there, so people know about cooperatives? Because in fact, if people pull the covers back, cooperatives are prominent. It yes. touches everybody's lives, but mo- many times we don't even know we're part of cooperatives, and we don't know how to truly, truly benefit from them. We don't know to truly how to have that stake in them, understand that we're owners in it, and really understand. And that's the that's that's the beauty of it. But getting to that information. So your question is one that's the, that again that's the crux of everything. It's that challenge. And as Vernon said, NCBA. Uh, I sit on the board of NCBA uh, as representing part of the Federation of Southern Cooperatives. And that's one of the big challenges, figuring out how does NCBA become that one-stop shop and how does it provide that information to people who are looking to get engaged with cooperatives. So I'll go back to Vernon's response to you. I think NCBA is one source to go to and find out and kind of see some co-ops in the area. But but the other thing I would say, having a conversation uh, with your grandson about really what it is he wants to do and, and going back to Vernon, what you said about Papa Sins, then if there's a problem, there's no cooperative, there's not a problem. Now, the way we look at it in the Federation, we talk about it in terms of need. Cooperatives yeah. come out of need. Uh, they're, they're jointly owned and democratically controlled businesses mm-hmm. that are owned by a group of people who've come together to meet a common need. Yeah. Who, who, who do he have something in common with in terms of his needs? He has to recognize that first, that he has a need. So, well, I think you definitely constantly spend time talking, uh, but... When you spend time with folks, it's just helping to flesh it out, flesh out. But once he realizes that need that he has, he would probably more know people who are in a similarly situated, uh, who are similarly situated, who have a common need, and mm-hmm. that's when that spark happens. Co-ops yeah. come from that need. Him yeah. really understanding that is the is the crux of this. Mm-hmm. And should he understand what his need really is? And when he mm-hmm. understands that, I think mm-hmm. the power the, the, the power then starts to, to, to shine. Well, sometimes those of us on the outside can see the need better than the person. Uh, absolutely. Unless, and unless they are trusting of those of us who have a, a, a special love or interest in them, then, you know, it's something that they may be persuaded to do or listen to. Uh, but just uh, to, to have the uh, wherewithal to just begin, uh, it would take a push or – or some conversation to get that interest up. Let me, and, let me, let me tell you, Gwen, a minute okay. that um, there was a lady I met named Julia, and she decided she wanted to be in a co-op, and she just started 
um, getting the training. They're the U.S. Federation of Worker Cooperatives, mm-hmm. and she would go to their um, conferences. Yeah. I suggest you go to ncba.coop. Um, that's, uh, and there's a, uh, a heading called co-op job. You can find a job or volunteer. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he needs to learn about co-ops. Yeah. Okay. And I would suggest this for everybody out there. Mm-hmm. If you learn about co-ops, I think you, most people will love them. Yeah. Uh, as I did, I did not learn it through going to school. I, I found out by managing housing co-ops. And the more I learn about co-ops, the more I really like this model of business over the capitalistic model of a stockholder who may invest in your business but live in a different country even. Um, but in, in, in most co-ops are locally owned by the people that are there, mm-hmm. and then they find out the need of the community. And so your son needs to figure out what Kalia said is what does he really want to do with his life Correct. and what kind of thing that, that he want to accomplish or what's needed in your community that he lives in. Mm-hmm. And then get find some other people either through going to the U.S. Federation of Worker Co-ops or going to NCBA. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 as he as he gets a group of find a group of people, then it's learning how to put the business together. Certainly. And let me let me add something to you. And Gwen, uh, I think it'll be. A, I don't know. Where, are you in D.C.? Where are you? Yeah. All right, well, Washington metropolitan area. He's in Silver Spring, but okay. close by. Works in DC. Well, well, well I, I know it's quite a distance, quite a distance. But our annual meeting, the Federation of Southern Cooperatives annual meeting, is every year, third weekend, third weekend of August. This year, August 13th through the 15th, and we do it every year. And the membership come together, so we will welcome you and anyone else who's interested in learning about cooperatives, especially some community development co- uh, cooperatives, uh, and how it came out of the civil rights movement and the role it still plays in the lives of low-income communities, especially in the South. We will welcome your participation and you bringing your son down to our annual meeting. So, and to bring him down, where where are the meetings held? Uh, we start on Thursday in Birmingham, Alabama, which is probably okay. one of the few places you can actually fly oh, okay. into. Uh, and then on Friday and Saturday, we go down to our training center. Our okay. training center is in Epps, Alabama. Uh, and and uh, our director of program and operations, John Zippert, who has been with the Federation for all 47 years, 48 years, likes to say that Epps is the center of the universe. So uh, mm. Epps is a little small town about 100 miles west of, of Birmingham. Uh, oh, okay. Well, years and years and years ago, I was a member of the Cooperative Extension Service Program, which is, in a way, it's sort of like that, but I'm told it's not at all connected. But the uh, uh, leadership training was similar. Uh, of course, I was quite young back there. And um, I, I see likenesses in these different um, uh, areas, but they're not connected, I understand. Okay. So, so it is something, though, that I think once a person uh, realizes what a great program it is, who wouldn't want to be a party to that? Well, that's the reason we have in this program. So I tell you what, Gwen, we're going to uh, cut you off now because I want to get back to Cornelius, and we're going to talk more about the, the uh, conference that he's bringing up. Thank and you. And thank you for calling in. Thank you. Okay. Enjoy your day. Thank you, too. Goodbye. So, Cornelius, let's talk about your conference because I am planning to be there on the 13th and the fifth through the 15th. Uh, and and John Zipper, I was interesting to find out he's from New York, uh, but went to the South, and now he sounds Southern. You would have never known he was from New York. <laughs> he, he has that Southern draw that I used to have coming up in Bluefield, West Virginia. Uh, so the 13th, you're starting. What are the kinds of things you do in the conference? I'm glad you asked. So uh, on the 13th, we the 13th is the day we have our war ceremony, and that's where we honor somebody who's given a lifetime of achievement um, in social justice, economic justice, things in terms of benefiting the community, the world, the country, and the world. Uh, it's called the Estelle Witherspoon Lifetime Achievement Award, uh, and it's, I think, 14th annual, 14th annual Estelle Witherspoon Achievement Award, and the, the 48th annual meeting. On Thursday, again, we, we, we honor somebody, and our past recipients have been, uh, the very first recipient was actually Danny Glover. Uh, Danny mm-hmm. Glover, Harry Belafonte, uh, Senator Hank Sanders, who's our very own down in Alabama, who's done ex- ex- extremely
uh, Representative Benny Thompson, and, and your representative there, Ms. Eleanor Holmes Norton, was the last year's recipient. Mm. So we, we honor folks during that time, get together and honor those folks who've done the lifetime achievement, but more, and, and we also honor them in the name of Estelle Witherspoon, who was one of the pioneers of the Federation. She was one of those co uh, the Freedom Quilting Beat, and was one of the founders in the room when the Federation was founded. The Freedom Quilting Beat was one of those co-ops that was created, again, out of need, uh, back in Alabama, Alberta, Alabama, Wilcox County, the poorest county, in, I think, in the country. Um, but then Alabama, and these women were the wives of sharecroppers and had jobs and things, and, and they they wanted the first groups to invite Dr. Martin Luther King down. But after people started registering to vote, these women started losing their jobs because they, they formed the quilting beat. And as a matter of fact, there are some of the products from the uh, quilting beat that are there at the Smithsonian uh, I get this because Estelle Witherspoon and the Quilting Bee, are they still in existence? The, the Quilting Bee is. Uh, Estelle Witherspoon is bad. Okay. Uh, but the Quilting Bee, Bee is, and it's a struggle trying to maintain the Quilting Bee. There's been some fragmentation. There's been a lot of different issues in the community. And you'll hear a lot more about it when you're down, Vernon. Uh, get a chance to see some of her family members, her daughter uh, and son-in-law and stuff are present during the event. So you get a chance to learn more about her uh, and the Freedom Quilting Bee and some of the problems they've had. But But listen, can you buy the quilts now? Yes, uh, they still, and, uh, and I'm going to get you connected down there. When you come down, we might be able to get you one. No, I want to buy one. I don't want to get me one. I want to. I want to. I really want to buy one. And also, it gets cold up here in D.C. in the wintertime, so there might be some other people out there that want to buy some quilts. Uh, they're beautiful, um, and there's history. As a matter of fact, we did a quilt at my church, and we taught the kids. Um, uh, mathematics by by doing the quilts oh. squares and rectangles and triangles and 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 measuring them out and uh it was a very it was a math science learning center so we had them to to do a quilt and in doing that quilt we taught them mathematics um interesting point, man. so when, you, when you're down i'd definitely like to connect you with some of our folks in our office staff who works with some of the folks over at the quilting b and if anybody from the quilting b is there and we can talk because that's another angle on it you know because you always got to try to find how do you expand those businesses how do you add other Okay, there might be some people out there. We need to figure out how to get numbers or web pages so people can order quilts or. So what? Uh, what I do is I promise I'm sorry I have this information on you now. Like right now, I'm just going to direct you to the federation's website. But I promise I would love to come on the show another time, and we maybe we can have somebody else on from the quilting bee, and we can talk about that and get the information where they can directly buy it. And now let me point people to our website, and then we'll make sure we get folks connected. And that website is federation.coop. Okay. Um, so that's that's Thursday. The thirteenth on Thursday. Okay. So now we're going to Friday and we're gonna go down to Epps and Epps on Friday. You go down to Epps on Friday and Saturday. And so we start off on Friday where we're bringing and it's, and again it's a celebration because it's time for those those co-op members that are on the federation to come together and start talking amongst themselves. Uh, but Friday is a big time where we have a, a big resource panel with USDA many USDA officials. Uh, high-ranking officials from USDA coming in to talk about the partnership between the Federation and those agencies within USDA, within the government, uh, and what resources are available. And, 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 and we get the time, they get a chance to hear back from our membership, talking about some of the challenges, what their thoughts are. So it's a, it's a two-way piece of uh, communication street there, which has been always been beautiful. Everybody from, uh, and we mentioned Doug O'Brien. Doug O'Brien was down when he was uh, acting under Secretary for Rural Development. Somebody from Rural Development is a big sponsor every year, and they're going to be down, a, a partner, rather, and they'll be down uh, this year as well. Um, I hope we have the Undersecretary uh, Lisa Mensa there, uh, not somebody who she appoints, but we have people from NRCS 
Well, at least, at least the Mensa will be on the show next week. Oh, well, so, so I definitely bring it up. And she, she may bring it up, but she, she's been a, a, a great partner of the organization uh, as head of USDF Rural Development. As let, me, let me stop you a minute because we've got to take another break. But I heard her speak at a rural summit, and I want to uh, talk to you about uh, when we get back. We don't have – we're in our last segment already, Cornelius. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but we have we only have um, one more segment. If anybody out there would like to call in, you can call in at one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six, as Gwen did. If you have any question or comment, please call in at one eight hundred four five zero seven eight seven six. We're going to go take a break for the weather and the news, traffic, and then we'll be right back. News updates on the web at WOLDCnews.com. Information is power. I was at a rural summit that the National Rural Electric Cooperative uh, had here in D.C., and they, one of the things that came out of that summit was that there are a lot of hospitals in rural America that are going under. They're going out of business. Um, have, have, do you know about that, and have you ever looked at maybe trying to take those ones that are going out of business and make them into co-ops? You say the hospitals. Hospitals. That, that, that's an interesting point you have. Uh, you mentioned John Zippert, our director of programs and operations. John is on the board of one of the local hospitals, the community hospitals down in Alabama, and that's an issue they deal with regularly and how, you know, how it's affected. Because, you know, it, it has, has major challenges. Uh, so that is some uh, – as an organization, we haven't necessarily done focused on it. But people, some of our staff, folks like John Zipp and all, our staff, our board, our membership, they play an important roles because they're part of other boards in the community, and it connects the community. So those are some issues that we, we're dealing with indirectly now. But we've dealt with that issue directly back in the 60s and 70s, where we had one of the first community health centers in the, in the, in the, in the uh, south, put right outside of, in F.C. Alabama, not far from our training center. And while you're there, I want to take you over there to see that. And the challenge is putting that there and having local uh, doctors and nurses, nurses work there, but more importantly, bringing folks in where they could tend to the, to the needs of the folks in the community. But it was such a challenge dealing in that, that era where they ended up shutting the health center down because they, we weren't licensed to run this kind of facility when we were only trying to meet needs mm -hmm. People and organize to meet their own needs and their health care needs at that particular uh, instance. So that's, that's an issue that's been important to us because, again, when you deal in the community, you have to deal with all particular needs in all right. different areas. And so it's something that we've always been interested in directly until things were, uh, till we were shut down in that, that arena, but indirectly now. And that's through the piece that co-ops are so good at, providing that leadership. But people who become members of co-ops, they then get more engaged in their communities. They start running for seats on whether it's education, health, or whatever it is, and connect the community from all those different pieces. That's true community development. Well, I've heard that a lot, um, no matter where it is in the world. Um, going back to Papa Sin in Senegal, he said that uh, the people that came out of the co-op would end up being city council members, uh, board of education members, because they understood both in order to solve community problems th that they have to be engaged and then they have to be informed, get the knowledge, get the education. And, and so it just takes work. You have to be engaged to get stuff done. And so people then not only would become board members of co-ops, but they would go out into the community and, and help to structure solutions to the problems that were there. And it's exactly like that in the South, where the communities where we work. So Thursday, you're in Epson. Then Friday, what kind of classes do you have? I assume you have a lot because education is so important. Yes. So, so, on, so on Friday, again, we have the resource panel. Again, everybody from rural development, NRCS, FSA, the Farm Service Agency, to ACES, Animal Plant Health Inspection Services, NAS, to do the uh, agriculture statistics, so risk management, all the different agencies of the government, we have them there under one group talking about those programs and starting to talk about how even those programs have to be cooperatively ran. They have, they have to work together in order to best fill the needs of, of our members, at least, but I'm sure of everybody, their constituents. So we so we we are structured in that way. We also do an update on very, on whatever's going on for uh, around the world right then. Right now, there's a big settlement that's going on, and so we're having an update around that. Um, in the past, we've had big uh, updates on the on the on the lawsuit that was going on. Uh, we we also deal with training around uh, co-op development, land retention, the things I mentioned.
is looking at cooperative marketing, where some of the co-ops work together and look at what are the opportunities and how do they work together, cooperation among cooperatives. Uh, land retention, we have what we call wheel, free wheels clinic. So uh, when we look at estate planning, wheels and estate planning and wheels uh, to deal with that land retention issue. So folks understand how to secure that land base, how to develop a wheel, how to structure into a family corporation or family land trust, whatever the case may be, and, and have attorneys. We partner a lot with some of the universities. Uh, Southern University, as one example, we got a, a program with Southern University that's been going on for years, but we get uh, legal interns. We have legal students come there, and they're housed there at our training center in Epps now, and they go, and they get a good grasp of the, the issue of heirs' property in our community, mm-hmm. the problem that heirs' property causes and how people lose their land, and they and they, they start helping to solve it. They work with us in these wheels clinics, and more importantly, whether they stay in this, in this uh, environment or not, they become friends and allies. One right. of the things that we've done is we put together a network of attorneys all over the, all around the South of people who understand the issue, and most of them understand it because they've even served as legal interns or our attorney on staff go in and train and work with them to understand the issue and how do we look at it. Um, we did a study uh, that was commissioned by Congress and paid for by the U.S. by, by the U.S. government 35 years ago, back in 1980, that talked about land the land tenure in the South and how to secure, looking around the South with black land ownership and what that problem was and what this, the land tenure situation looked like around the South. And that's a study that's still relevant today. Uh, the, 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 the Secretary of Agriculture has put together a commission looking at those same things, looking at land tenure and how does that play a role in bringing beginning farmers in. So, again, this cooperative movement is connected in so many ways, just really putting your hands around and understanding it and how we all work together cooperatively to solve these problems and how we work together cooperatively in terms of helping people who are helping themselves. How do we all work hand in hand? Because we all play a role. Because at the end of the day, it affects us all. Mm-hmm. It, when we lose agricultural land in this country, it's going to affect the soil, water, and air. The main thing that some of the agencies, NRCS, the agency and the government set up to protect, it's going to affect it. And it's not its not a black problem, a white problem, a Hispanic problem. It's an American problem. It's a world problem. And cooperatives are set up to help solve those problems on a very local level with people starting to be educated and understand, like Gwen asked, being able to understand what their needs are. Our job is to play the role in facilitating those conversations. People are smart. They get it. Just facilitate that. When they understand their need, a cooperative response. Listen, do you ever? I hear you talk about land retention, uh, but do you ever have an occasion where there's the land available to buy? Uh, get land. There is, and so, uh, and let me, let me speak from a, from the. Uh, from example of heirs' property, and so people know heirs' property is when someone put land on the passes and doesn't have a will or uh, a plan, and he goes down and the land passes to the heirs, what they call the heirs, no matter how many they are. And as generations grow, the land is further fragmented, creating a problem uh, because there's no clear ownership, there's no clear title, and so it's not it's not a marketable title, what they call it. So it's hard to use it as collateral hard to get access to some of the programs uh, with USDA and all the increased income. So it's a host of problems that heirs' property creates. Uh, but what the worst-case scenario is when somebody comes in and that, there's a forced sale, what they call a partition sale, on that land, and usually there's developers who come in and buy that land. So you lose it. So you lose an heirs' property to development. Uh, and so what the ideal situation for us is to create a situation where those heirs, because usually there's an heir, who, an heir who's interested in continuing to farm the land, keeping in agriculture, uh, and sometimes who's a part of these co-ops. So trying to help them maintain is the first, our first source. But in cases when we can't do that, what we try to do is put it in a position where, where, where we we had a what we call the land, uh, revolving loan fund that was centered around that where we would try to purchase and hold on to it if the family wanted to get it back or sell it to someone who had an agricultural interest. Fortunately, it's hard to maintain these revolving loan funds, so we need things like that. But we're advocating for even the government to set up these programs where they can create these loan funds to buy this land to keep it in agriculture to sell it out. That solves that beginning farmers problem where people where beginning farmers are the biggest problem is having access to agricultural land, affordable agricultural land. So these kind of things are avenues, are opportunities for other people to buy land in the case when the heirs aren't available or can't get it. 
make and our second route is to make sure it stays in agriculture. But we do have those situations. But that is a, that's another common problem, Vernon, trying to figure out how to identify land that's in agriculture and keep it in agriculture and make sure you even, if it's going to be sold, that it's sold to somebody who's interested in agriculture. Got it. On the 14th, either 13th or 14th, do you have any classes on things like uh, budgeting or finances? Um, we, we do different classes around co-op development, uh, sometimes around co-op financing, sometimes around co-op management, sometimes just around co-op 101. What is a co-op and how do you operate your co-op? Sometimes around co-op marketing. I think this time it's around cooperative marketing, uh, but we do. And more importantly, uh, one thing that we do at the Federation, there's something that we in partner with the Southern Grassroots Economy Project and other folks where we hold what we call Co-op Econ every year in October at our training center in Eft, Alabama. And we talk about all those issues then, from Co-op 101 to Co-op budgeting, Co-op financing, Co-op governance, every single thing. And so it's just a matter of what you're interested in. And that's a two-day uh, conference, we call it, again, Co-op Econ. So, so we do a number of things. We, uh, we have limited time, of course, at the annual meeting, so we try to cover different things every different year based on what we're hearing on the ground and based on what our membership has requested. Uh, but I know this year it will be around cooperative marketing is one piece. Listen, Cornelius, uh, we only have a couple more minutes to go. you have anything that you pressing on you that you want to tell people? Yeah, I do. And let, 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 me, let me first finish by saying that Saturday. Saturday is the important part of our meeting where the membership we have, the, it's the annual, it's the membership meeting where the membership meet the people who actually own these co-ops, who actually own the Federation, where they're meeting and they're talking about their needs and what they want to do and how to move forward, and they direct me as their executive director and I and my staff in terms of what exactly needs to be done and what we're going to do, and then we translate that and talk about how we're going to do it and who do we need to partner with and how do we build our partnerships. So that's the important part for us, and those we have what we call cooperative caucuses, where the co-ops in each different state state caucuses where those co-ops in all the different states and they caucus as a state and they speak with one voice from each different state and mm. those different states make up the federation so that's the crux of the federation on that Saturday and you see it at work uh, but I, I, I like to just end with that and just talk about in terms of really how important it is for these partnerships and again the sponsor of this show NCB which is a, a valuable tool around the resource part of it the capitalization of co-ops and communities uh, but Every other key piece, the partnerships, whether it be the government, whether it be the banks, whether it be the cooperative community, the co-op developers, the cooperative themselves, and the communities, all of it is important. All of it has to work together, and it starts around education, around education, 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 education which culminates to fleshing out that need. Once you get that need, you've got the spark for a co-op, and a co-op can, can help people solve their problems and address the needs of the community. And like you said, it's about the community being involved in owning those structures. Thank you, buddy. Infrastructure, infrastructure. It's a pleasure, always a pleasure. And I'll be talking to you and see you in a month. Brandon, I'll start paying you to have me on this show. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> you take good care. Have a great, a, a great time, a great weekend, and we'll see everybody next Thursday. Brandon, thanks for all you do, man. Thank you, babe.